This episode of First Things First was recorded as part of our live magazine project at Design Thinkers in Toronto. The interview is with Sidley Creative Director Laura Stein and was done by Frontier Senior Designer Trista Morantos. Tell me, maybe just recap a little bit for me the relationship between music, basslines, and riffs, and design. So the idea of, uh, well, I think especially about identity design is all around systems. And um, what are the systems that hold things in place and that allow other things to do different things. And I think it's the same in identity design where we need certain things held in place so that we can go do other things as well. So there are different ways to decide what the baseline is and what the riff is. Um, in some cases, the baseline might be the logo and the riff is other stuff, or it might be this typeface and the rest is a kind of riff. So um, as you design things, and thinking about that baseline and riff, you can kind of use that as a, a really rough idea of a system and then create an identity around it. Mm-hmm. And in your talk, you brought up the example of Coke and Pepsi, mm-hmm. which is a great example. And I, I think about that all the time because you're writing your talk where Coke just doesn't change and Pepsi is always changing. Yeah. And I've always thought about it like it's kind of like two people almost like playing poker and Pepsi's always trying to up the ante. Right. And Coke's like, I'm just going to hold here. Right. Like, I'm good. I don't right. need to change. Right. And so I, I think of it as like high school. <laughs> it was like, I know that kid. I know that Pepsi kid. Oh, yeah. I know the Coke yeah, kid, like, too. We're with you. Yeah, we're changing, you're changing. And the Coke kid is the one who all the girls are in love with. Yeah. And the Pepsi kid is like, God damn it, the Pepsi yes. kid asked me always out again. Always trying to catch up with the, <laughs> the Coke kid, like, without doing anything, yeah. is always still perceived to be cooler than the Pepsi yeah. kid. Which leads me to a question, which is, you talked a little bit about um, the length of uh, brands, and do you think that there's a... Like, what Coke is doing, there's, like, a, a confidence in just leaving it as it is. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Do you think that you can almost create a classic in a way? Like, you can kind of make something classic almost just through confidence of just leaving it? That over time it just might become that? I think you have to weather certain things. And <laughs> I'm going to call this the ABBT. I don't know if you'll print it or not. But it's the Alex Boland Bellbottom Theory. Okay. So Alex is a designer I work with, and we're talking about how often brands go through a phase where they look really awkward, and they're wearing bell bottoms, and nobody else is wearing bell bottoms, mm-hmm. but they have committed to the bell bottoms, and they're waiting for that moment the bell bottoms are going to come back, but they're going to they're going to work through it, right? And they may accessorize, right? And eventually, <laughs> maybe the the fashion will come back around, yeah. and they will have been doing it the entire time. Right? Yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, you had also talked a little bit about uh, Ray Kurzweil and the idea that in the next 100 years we're going to experience 20,000 years of evolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious if even in like your own career, have you felt things speeding up? Like have timelines been speeding up? Has, have you just felt that yeah. because of what you're designing for? Well, I think there's two things. For sure, um, things are speeding up and expectations are different and clients are under pressure to deliver things quicker. And I think there's less because things are faster, people are... And people are more responsive to what's happening in the world. They uh, are jump on opportunities more as well. It's like, this is the mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. So when we were designing for Sonos, they were launching a product that they were like, somebody came in and said, guys, this product is the thing that's going to take you out of geekdom and put you into the hands of regular people. And they were like, oh, you're right. 
And there was a scramble because the launch was three months away and they had to wanted to rebrand because the way they were now was just geek geek land. Mm-hmm. So I think there's that kind of um, speed of business, the opportunism of business. And I think there is also the different channels that we work in have different timescales. And I was talking a little bit about that too. And that might be a function of where I am. Uh, I'm at a firm that does a lot of advertising <laughs> and a lot of content creation. And so the things are, we need right. things. We need things now kind of thing is part of uh, the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. So you also mentioned how uh, you kind of evaluate time um, by iPhone models. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, have you ever thought about, because you, you had mentioned, you, we can look back and say before there was an iPhone, mm-hmm. you know, MoMA was MoMA or whatever. Mm-hmm. But what about, you know, in like 10 to 15 years, have you ever thought about, you know, how brands will need to adapt or what they'll look like? Like what technology they'll be on and, and will they be constantly evolving? Right. Yeah, I mean, it is a great question and I truthfully don't spend that much time thinking about it because I it makes my brain hurt and I've got that thing due tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so I don't know. I mean, I, it's amazing to see platforms develop and then take over and then possibly die. Like, I think we were all right. sort of ready for Facebook to kick it a little while ago and it may... It may not, I don't know, but mm-hmm. like it's the most important platform right now. Mm-hmm. But who in ten years yeah. will it exist? I have yeah. no idea. Yeah. And and to different generations all living today, I think different platforms are have completely different meaning and value yeah. too. Right? Yeah. So I guess it depends on who you're trying to talk to. Um, the last question that I'll ask you about about your talk was um, you had mentioned you briefly touched on how sometimes um, public opinion can kind of whether or not you change or how you change, there's a bit of, there's always a public opinion about it as soon as, right after you change a logo or a visual identity. As a designer, do you ever take that into account or does that ever um, help you make a decision about whether you should change or not? As you mentioned, Bruce was saying maybe Mobile doesn't need to change, for example, or the Met, you know, maybe is a different story. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think if if... If there is a strong enough impetus for change, like if people think that it will actually change their business, and I think design can change people's business and that they want their business to change, then I think that radical wholesale change makes sense. And I think that brands need to anticipate, especially brands that are well-loved, need to anticipate an outcry Mm -hmm. and just prepare for it Mm -hmm. and push through. Yeah. Because I look at the Met one and... I don't know what it is about that crazy logo that everyone hates, but I love it. (laughs) And I think that people over time, I feel like people over time will love it too. Like it will be on people's tote bags and be like, I went to the Met and it won't be stuffy like I went to the Met with the old logo on it. It'll be like, I went to the Met. Yeah. And I'm a kind of a literate, smart person. Yeah. And eventually. Not I'm a complicated nerd. Right. (laughs) And it might get to a point where you even forget about what the old logo looked like. Yes, right? exactly. We all have short memories, and I yeah. did—I didn't show it in the talk, but there is there were other logos that the Met had had before as well, of mm-hmm. course. But nobody knows what those were. Right. Yeah. yeah exactly. It's like Google. Yeah. Trying to remember that that serif version of Google is yeah. like almost I can't even think about it. Yeah. Um, so the last couple of questions that I would hope to ask. Uh, 
we're asking questions here as part of Live Magazine to some of the attendees. And I have a couple that I'd love to ask you. Yeah. Um, one of them is, um, what advice would you give to your younger self? Right. I think when I first started, I was putting things together. And the system just meant always do this and always do that. And right. it was less of a system. And it was, I mean, things worked together, but they didn't really work together. Um, it was more a collection of things with rules. Mm-hmm. And I think that's not satisfying, and I don't think that's... I think that's when design gets really stale really quickly. And so I think uh, trying to pull back and see the bigger picture of what you're doing is a great way to uh, assess whether what you're doing is good or not. Mm -hmm. Um, I like going to these talks, and I like doing talks, because it really forces me to step back and say, what's going on here? What are we doing? And for me, that's really important because you get so caught up in day-to-day. So finding opportunities to step back and kind of go, what am I doing? And rethink it, even if everybody around you is doing exactly what you're doing. Right. Uh, and the last question is maybe a bit more loaded question, but it's a bit more uh, related to the theme of the event, which is speak the truth. Uh-huh. Um, is design inherently truthful? Uh, no. No? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Let me think about what that means. Okay. Can you unpack that for me? And uh, well, for, for me, I would answer the question, I do think it's inherently truthful. I mm-hmm. think that that is what design is, is about finding through understanding, finding the truth, mm-hmm. really digging in and finding that, that honest thing that you're trying to represent. Mm-hmm. But then maybe there's a bit of a gray area in the way in which you represent that truth. Like I think you had met the, some of the case studies that you'd given um, you talked about Mars and how there was a, an idea of they are doing a lot of really great stuff. Mm-hmm. Like that is a, that is a truthful message. Um, and then maybe the way in which it's designed and displayed is, I don't want to say less truthful, but there is more selling and more spectacle to that. Right. That's kind of how I would see it. Yeah. There's an aspect of design that is aspirational and it's almost a challenge to yourself can you be this thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that you think you are? Yeah. Um, so I don't know if it's truthful, but it demands to be met. To learn more about Live Magazine, visit frontier.is and look for Live Magazine in our media section. First Things First is produced by Max Cotter. Frontier Media is a part of Frontier, a design office based in Toronto, Canada. We believe that design is more than visual. It's a process of exploration, discovery, sketching, prototyping, iteration, and refinement. That process can help create a better world. Our mission is to help others understand how that goal can be accomplished. To do this, we use design to create better and more purposeful products. We publish a magazine and produce this podcast to explore and celebrate the risks people take in the process of creating things that are original and worthwhile. And we work with clients to help them define their purpose and tell their story. To learn more, visit www.frontier.is. First Things First is recorded in Toronto and Vancouver at the Design Thinkers Conference, organized by our founding partners at RGD, the Association of Registered Graphic Designers, who represent over 3,800 design practitioners, including firm owners, freelancers, managers, educators, and students. Through RGD, Canadian designers exchange ideas, educate and inspire, set professional standards, and build a strong, supportive community 
dedicated to advocating for the value of design.